Hello, I'm Philip Gomes, and uh, welcome to the SBS Cycling Podcast. We're going to keep this intro short and sweet, uh, because we've got a few things to get through, because it's also been a while since we've done a pod. Um, on today's pod- podcast, hopefully, we get a chance to talk to Indie Pacific Wheel Race uh, creator Jesse Carlson, but, uh, you know, who knows where he is, hidden in a jungle somewhere in Victoria. Right, they have jungles in Victoria, I think. Um We'll also talk about, uh, well, we'll ask the question if we can, why do something like this? It's kind of like an Everest thing. Why not? Right? I'm sure they'll uh, they'll all say, you know, why shouldn't we do it? But it's kind of nuts. I know why I shouldn't do it. I know. I know <laughs> you know. But we'll talk about Continuing. that. Continuing. That's right. Also today we'll talk about uh, ah, the Epsa Cape Epic, which I kind of got into. And, you know, it was made more fun by the fact that Cadell Evans was eventing. With uh, George Hincapi for BMC. Eventing, not venting. Uh, no, that's right. There okay. were no, there was no venting actually. Okay. Yes, that's right. And uh, and then of course we'll close out uh, with the tour of Flanders, which is coming up this weekend. Sitting around me are Anthony Tan. Hello, Sam. Phil. Rob Arnold. Hello, Phil. And Jamie Finchpenger. Hello. How how are we all doing? Oh, good. Cool. We're good. Disco man. Okay, I'll start by saying to this crowd of roadies, did you guys watch the Apps of Cape Epic? You nah. know that mountain bike race in South Africa, which is actually, it's the mountain bike race that ate mountain biking. It's huge, massive. I watched the highlights, so the, you know you had a reason to put them up, Phil. I saw I pictures. Them. You saw some f- images? Yeah, and then I followed Dave Evans, who was over there doing it. Oh, ah, right, okay. He's on my Facebook feed. And he Who'd was- he ride with? I don't know, a guy who got who crashed or got sick or was dehydrated or was crook. And anyway, it was pretty epic just watching what he had to say about it. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Jamie, did you? I did not watch one pedal stroke of it. Good Awesome. God. Okay, so over to you, Jamie. Tell us more. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. You have to prioritise things. And uh, thankfully, Phil actually got me a job with the football guys at SBS. So um, I've unfortunately have to be brushing up on my football knowledge a bit. So um, you can blame Phil for me, for me not watching it. So tell us about Buddy yeah. Franklin. About who? Buddy Franklin. No, no, uh, SBS, the round ball. Oh, okay. Yeah. Real football, oh, proper, okay. proper football. One, That's right, yes. We so, went to the football on Saturday night. <laughs> is, is, uh, is Jamie the new Fozzie? He, he'll probably end up being the new Foz. I, yeah. I don't know, man, you know. Um, well, okay, Anthony. Foz Penninger. What, what, what was interesting to me with the, with the Cape Epic, aside from the fact that you had the, the, the important mountain bike guys obviously doing the thing that important mountain bike guys do, which is win the thing, I really enjoyed watching this format. So I'll tell you where I'm coming from on this. Mm-hmm. So what I'm watching is a stage race format with two riders per team who effectively have to ride together in a variety of terrain. And then I started thinking to myself, sort of picking up from the conversation we've had in the past about the kinds of things we can do to, rege- to inject a renewed interest in road cycling or put some new events in road cycling. And in I know, cycling, cycling. That's right, in yeah. road cycling, yeah. And I'm looking at this format and I'm thinking, you know, this would be a fabulous format to transport into road. I know we've got the Duo Normand, and, which, mm-hmm. which has been around, but I don't think, I think maybe that's something that's worth expanding on, um, where we have two riders taking on a one-week course with some hills, time trial, normal road stages, and they've got to finish together. Well, they've, got to, they've got to. They've got to maintain their own bikes. They've got to. Uh-huh. I think this this would bring a bring an element of of uh, purity back to road cycling in, in some way. 
Well, that's what they did, you know, in, you know, all those iconic black and white photographs from, you know, the... Days of yore. Yeah, I mean, the 1920-whatever Tour de France, it's it's got those guys with the, uh, their their ties slung over their shoulders and uh, or do, do tubes you know, at least. What, this year marks the 80th anniversary of a special moment in the Tour de France and it relates to what you're talking about. Any guys, anyone know? Anyone? Anyone? It was the introduction of the derailleur to the Tour de France 80 years ago. Mm. They, they resisted for a few years because they thought it would uh, debase the whole concept. Kind of like disc brakes today. Perhaps. Well, yeah. the, didn't they discover that <laughs> cycling tourists were overtaking the supposed pros um, on the... Oh, there was, there, there, there's a narrative to it, but mm. it's just it's kind of odd to think that they, you know, they thought, no, don't do that. That's horrendous, Let, letting technology spoil the purity but anyway, that's, let's go back to ABSA, Kate Berbick. What's yeah. ABSA anyway? Uh, what does it stand quite, for? Uh, yeah. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, to be quite honest. Since South Africa. Since anyway. South Africa anyway. Yeah. Okay. Um, but in that race, obviously, we had uh, Cadell Evans riding, and he rode. And this, this, was, a, this was actually a contestable point um, heading, into, heading into the event. He rode the event with uh, George Hincapie. Mm-hmm. Now, ABSA Cape Epic has a very, very strict and specific rule about people who have been implicated in doping and you don't ride but conveniently the ro- the rule was applied and george didn't quite fall into the, the what, time he, period uh, oh. right so he was allowed to ride which in the end i don't think is a bad thing because i think he had a tremendous amount of value to the, to the event considering that he was spending all of his time doing something else and he was thrust into this this event that he had no real experience in, in doing, which is mountain biking, and he's basically hanging on to Goodell, and it was actually fun and entertaining to watch. Was Goodell sort of leading the, or yeah, did driving, they share turns? They share, share turns, yeah, mm. yeah. But, I mean, obviously, I mean, there's a difference in terms of, A, fitness, mm. because everything we know about Goodell is that he's still on point right now. Mm. And, uh, and then, of course, George, you know, probably spending more time playing tennis than anything else. And, um, you know, to just to watch him grow as the event, uh, to watch George grow as the event went on and to become more comfortable with doing that was, uh, was pretty interesting to watch. And I think mirrors the kind of event, the kind of thing what happened to somebody like me mm. in an event like that or you. Mm. So, mm. I mean, any thoughts on this? And, and they weren't the only guys. Perito raced. All right. Right. Um, so you can Rodriguez rode. With, How did he go? Uh, fine. He finished the top, don't quote me, top. 20 overall, right? Right. So he rode with Jose, Jose Hermida, okay. right, who's one that used to be top, one of the top mountain bikers in the world before he retired last year. Mm. Uh, so they, they rode together, and there was uh, ex-rugby players, guys who played cricket for South Africa. Um, this it's pretty is interesting. So absolute, uh, that we talked right. about it last time where there was a, a, a changing in the dynamic of how we cover cycling, hmm. and this is confirmation of that. Also, in advance of last week's podcast, we were going to talk about Hammer Time, or Hammer Series, or Hammer something, to oh, do the, with Velon. The, and we never got around to it. But that's another iteration of how cycling could potentially change in 2017. Or 18. Yeah. No, starting this year. Oh, starting this year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. In so June. I look at an event like that, like APSA, and I, I think, okay, we've got the Dua Normand, which, which, is, which I think we should expand on, and, and we should do something with that. I think it's, it's worth doing. Which is a two-man team time trial. Two, two-man team time trial. So let's, let's expand that out to, to mm. road and like road stages and mountain stages, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And uh, make something, make an, an interesting event for fans out there that's outside the normal. Mixed doubles. Mixed doubles, exactly. Mm-hmm. So it's not about replacing the yeah, rest of the calendar. Cool. Or mixed, cool. yeah. 
Mixed right? doubles. Yeah. So it's not about replacing the existing calendar. It's about adding and enhancing and the, using, the existing calendar. Yeah, and, and it doesn't, and I guess the, the, the premise of it needs to be that it can be broadcast in any myriad form. Insofar yes. that it doesn't have to have television rights, it can be social media engagement, and and that's what's happening this year is that the social media broadcast mechanism is going to change sport. Well, I think we've seen that particularly with the Indie Pack. Mm. Um, anyone who's been following on with uh, Rupert, for instance, and uh, or even personalities like Cycling Maven, Durian Rider, all those guys who've been attempting it, it's. It's really a, an emotional roller coaster for them, and you see that on your screens, on your tablets, on your smartphones, and mm. it really brings you know the really brings the struggle and the race home to you. I mean, it's and it's follow- a very different experience from the TV. Yeah, I've I've actually found that was uh, Phil. That, that yeah, was just, sorry, keep going. Yeah, <laughs> sorry about that, folks. Yeah, Phil. Phil doesn't really have much interest in what I've got to say, but <laughs> my, maybe the others don't <laughs> either. <laughs> Uh, no, I've actually found probably the following those Facebook, those short videos posted by the likes of Rupert and Cycling Maven. I don't actually know the Cycling Maven, but anyway, you know, I found it more compelling than most of the road racing this year because it's so personal and you you get these guys, you know, they're, they're really at, at the end of their strength some some day so you know they're so vulnerable and you know the way athletes these days are micromanaged with the media you don't see that vulnerability you you don't get them you know this is when I had this whole kerfuffle with BMC because they wouldn't let me interview Cadell a few minutes after the stage had finished and then he got the poo-poos because I wrote something about that because it was not because I want him to say something he shouldn't, but I wanted to get him when, he, not just Cadell, but other athletes when they were at their most lucid. Because, for example, Mark Ferguson, who does Cycling Maven, he's usually really charismatic and, and um, he, he does a full regular, of energy. regular vlog and he's Incredible. full of optimism and positive uh, vibes and all of that. And... Um, and really good video edits and also that's his that's what he's built his his brand on and then you see him coming into the car park of somewhere in the middle of whoop whoop and basically the whole facebook live is him basically looking at the camera almost wanting to fall asleep and just saying oh, i'm so tired and then he's just it, the content is 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 negligible compared to what he usually does but the ratings are through the roof because people just want to basically see you know, I, can, I don't know, see if his if his if his cramps are on display or well, if... something, something real as well, isn't yeah. it? I think Tanny was alluding to that to that when you're trying to um, interview Cadell soon after the race, you, you're looking for that real emotion, not for them and their real reaction to things, and that's what you get with this social media stuff. You're not getting like a pre-canned thing which is done, you know, uh, once they've thought, okay, what do I need to say to the media, and then then filtered further through that um, journalist's own point of view as well. Um, here you just get the raw stuff of, you know, people in pain, um, yeah. people in jubilation, people, you know, experiencing you know, the highs and lows of bike riding. Yeah, exactly. I'd really like to thank my tyre supplier. You know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. All yeah, of that yeah, sort yeah. of real natural stuff that comes out. <laughs> yeah, that's right. No, that's why I've got no interest following professional bike racing. Like, no interest. It's not a monetary thing or whatever. You know, I'm not going to complain that I don't get paid enough. It's, it's, it's simply because you look at... Interviews done in the 80s and 90s or whatever or 70s, you, 
it's it's far different to what you get today. Well, yeah. In, yeah, I've talked with Rupert a lot about this, and in summary, the team buses killed cycling. Right. Or, or killed what it used to be. And, and this is coming from Rupert, who was reporting on it in the 80s. So his first Tour de France was 1987 in Grande Pas in Berlin. And he has fond memories of sitting in the gutter interviewing Stephen Roach the year that he won the title. And in, and, and these days you basically... We tried to show it on the Maven last year when he came and joined me at the Tour de France, but we basically spend a few hours hanging outside the team bus waiting for someone to come out and say, yeah, I want to win the race today. Uh, there's nothing about it that's appealing. And this is, <laughs> but I've booked all the, of my tickets. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, the right. tour is in three months. The Giro is <laughs> in one month. The Flanders is but it's this the Sunday. Bus that is has has ruined it. Has spoiled the experience of what it what it once was. But of course, it has to develop. It's natural that they would end up in a bus. Yeah. But um, hopefully, they're not doing what they used to do on the on, no, no, on many no, team no, buses. We'll, but. we'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you started off uh, with no, Kinkapi. No, 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 <laughs> it's no, your no. fault, Phil. But, but anyway, so but mm. we, it's what a we can do correlation. But, <laughs> but there's also a direct correlation from what we saw George and Cadell do, mm. and what we're watching the riders in the Indy Pack do. So you're getting you're getting real moments from mm. real people. So they're no longer guarded in that partic- in that professional. There's no there's no longer that professional barrier. Mm. So even though the for example the clips that uh, BMC were producing each day. Mm. Even though they were well-produced clips, right? They gave you insight. You saw Cadell being geeky. That is, he's the kind of guy who cares a lot about gearing, right? It's it's kind of crazy, but he does. He cares mm. about the equipment. He he loves that. Mm. You saw George saying, you know, Jesus, I'm really tired. It's five a.m. I'm I'm awake. Why? You know, you could you could see that, and it's it's similar to Indy Pack. So mm. we're getting these real moments, and they're the things that connect us to the sport. Uh, tell me, I didn't see any of the footage of the Cape Epic, hmm. but was there drones? Yes. So that's this, another this is the other thing. enormous the coverage, revolution the coverage, that's going to come. Surely. The coverage was remarkable. Why are we drones, waiting for helicopter Helicopters. Footage? Uh, they had quad bikes, right. motorbikes. On certain sections, they had people on mountain bikes with helmet, helmet cams, mm. right, following the action. And then all that stuff gets clipped up. And it into doesn't a, have into to a be narrative, live, does it? No. That's what I was saying years ago about right? what the women's peloton could do. But even even the live coverage reflected a lot of this, mm. and it just brought that straight out okay. of the out one. of your out of your laptop into your lap and made it feel real, and you felt more connected. Mm. Yeah. It brought you closer. So there are things that we're doing with, with with broadcast television coverage of professional road racing that are I've come to realize it's there's a barrier there between us and the riders. Now, Velon is attempting to, to bring them closer. Obviously, they get inside the peloton. Mm-hmm. So I've got some time for that, right? I've, I've kind of thought about it a little bit more and, and thought, okay, fine. But the theory of it's always been crisp. But yes. the application's been a little blurry. Exactly, because yeah. we've got, uh, it's showed, Velon showed Caleb Ewan doing 74 kilometers an hour up the Poggio in Milan San Remo, which I don't think is possible <laughs> on a bicycle. So, no. no. Let's not get bogged yeah, down. Yeah. Continue with this, this the, what, right. with the thing. Tell me one thing, Phil. You're engaged by the Cape Epic, but you also follow the ratings. Was it was it alive? Was it you know? Oh, we did one live state. We did the final the final state live, and I know it's a new it's a new event uh, in Australia. I mean, people aren't exposed to it, and for us, the in point uh, to that event was Cadell and George, mm-hmm. who everybody knows. Mm-hmm. Um, so that kind of brings people to the race. It builds sort of a connection from road because our audience is mostly road. So it brings that, in, brings that event to their attention. So hopefully this builds on it and it, it, it 
becomes better in future years in terms of awareness. In terms of what's happening in the race itself, in terms of how professional it's run, in terms of the broadcast quality, etc., they have nothing to learn from road cycling. Road cycling has everything to learn from them. And there, there's an advantage to that. So we, to, to new events like, um, like the Cape Epic, which mm. road cycling doesn't have. Mm. We've, we've got history in road cycling. And I think we're sometimes stuck in that history. And we need to pull ourselves out of that. And oh. think about new ways of doing, of bringing it. the race to the audience. I love it, a restart. But the indie pack is, is kind of drawing on the on history. That. I mean, I, I'm sort of a history buff, Phil, and mm. I, I like that. What I can see happening with the indie pack is going uh, other races, whether it's going from, say, Darwin to Sydney, not just always Perth to Sydney, or, or maybe a different route they take. And, you know, we had the sort of the... I don't know, a decade or so of the age of the selfie. I don't know what you call it, a video, a Velfi or something like that. But, you know, this is what I like. I thought I was sick of road cycling, but I'm not. I'm, I'm just sort of sick of that contrived nature. I don't want to keep talking about it, but this is what, you know, the, those posts from whoever, those guys on it, whether they're, you know, the front markers, the middle markers, the back markers, that's what I enjoy seeing. And so it's sort of reinvigorated me in a way because you go oh, okay it's it's not so much road cycling it's really the pro stuff the pro stuff mm. yeah it's it's like it's, you said last time it's less about the winner and it's about the experience you know i've followed a fair bit of the indie pack just because you you can't escape it if you follow cycling it's sort of in your face it's there but on I the web it's, it's i haven't really kind of crazy there was a change of leadership yesterday, but I didn't really, I, I hadn't even really considered the leaders. I considered about the people that I know in it that I wanted to follow and I've been engaged by this. It's not, it, it is a race, but for me, it's a ride. It's a slow motion tour to France. <laughs> and it's the ride that I'm interested in. I don't care. I don't give a damn who wins. Hmm. I really don't. It doesn't bother me at all. But um, it, it, who, when, when they finish, I, I want to be there. For the first and, and the last and everyone in between, I'd love to sit there at the Opera House just documenting the way that they arrive. If they've got... I'd like, I'm curious to know if they've got any energy to don't, celebrate. Don't they finish in Bondi? Or? Oh, sorry. I don't know. Well, they've got to dip their wheels somewhere. Yeah. Bondi, Opera House. I'll go back to the yeah. website. Just, and yeah, yeah. I mean, Jamie, you, I mean, you're, you know, <laughs> you're, relatively, you're relatively new to the cycling caper, mm. right? I mean... He's new to everything. He's a young man. Yeah. How do you see this stuff? I mean, is is, is it is tra the tradition of cycling that the, the the norms that we've had in pro pro road cycling for so many years is that something that attracted you to the sport, or was it something else? Oh, very much so. And I think um, part of what makes cycling great is that history. And I think we're seeing it particularly at the moment with the cobbled classics. Those races have such a rich, rich history, and um, and it really means something in terms of prestige, in terms of becoming part of that history to those to those guys who are winning these races and you can see it and that's why they put so much effort into being great at this stage of the of the season um and i think i think part of that is part of part of my excitement about going to races is seeing that history made um occasionally you do get let down by you know by things which are you know inside baseball within within cycling and like like you said the team the team buses and the kind of contrived nature of of some of some elements of cycling, the way it's presented to the public, you know, often detracts from the sport. I find, and what I really enjoy is 
getting to that real essence of it, which is why I love going to local racing so much because you get to see real people. I mean, these are especially the women's side. These are people who are professionals in, in life. They've got full-time jobs and they put aside the rest of their life to become really good at cycling. And you see these people trying to you know, make something with their lives, go on to Europe and maybe do it professionally. Um, I was speaking to Lisa Hawkins the other day and she's uh, a very well-qualified qualified anesthesiologist. And she could, you know, she could happily just um, pack up her bikes, just do cycling as a hobby. Uh, but no, she wants to t- test herself over in Europe up against the biggest names in the sport. So I think that's part of what makes, you know, all these stories and all this real emotion is what makes cycling great. I think that's what we've been talking about largely on this yeah. podcast. The point we're trying to make, I guess, is that um, the, the the uniqueness of things like the Apsa Cape Epic and the Indian Pacific, et cetera, is that... It, we see a lot of humanity in those events. And one, as long as that's communicated, then that keeps us interested in these events. And it's, it's something that I think that pro road cycling needs to generate a little bit more of. I, I have a little theory. Just it's, and maybe just to close out this sort of participatory journalism Thing. premise. Mm-hmm. Um, not that long ago, Iron Man started up. You know, like until it happened, whenever it was, maybe late 70s. Someone can correct me. I'm sorry about that, triathlete people. But um, until that began, there was no, no one really cared about sport on Kona. But now it's it's a, it's a, it's an epic. It's a it's an October tradition, and it's a fantastic thing. I've been once, and I would love to go again. And if I wasn't so involved in cycling, I would go, because it's a glorious thing, and it's suffering, and it's exactly what these other races were way back then it's become big super professional so it'd be interesting to see if these these the the cape epic or the indie pack turn into some you know media monoliths and and as a segue to that is by a the monolith way, right no, mo- mo- no yeah media monolith yeah yeah, yeah that's right and and as media a segue behemoth behemoth behemoth, behemoth. 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 what's a monolith Anyway, so uh, a is a bit structure it's an object yeah. like an oblix. Yes. Or I know this happen. because I studied engineering at school, but that's beside the point. We defer to Anthony's superior engineering talents. And just as a as an aside to that, the um, the Apsa Cape Epic triathlon. That's right. Sorry. The Apsa Cape Epic is actually owned by the same guys who own the Ironman now. Aha. Which is Wanda Sport. Aha. Aha. Uh, Wanda. You must have known that yeah. just somewhere deep down in your subconscious. It just, yeah. it so you so can familiar. you can see there's a theme developing in the kind of prop- properties that they've been they've been purchasing. They're very acquisitory at the moment and Do they own the rock and roll marathon? Uh, I'm not sure, but there's stuff that they're doing in pro road cycling as well and you know, they're Chinese Chinese uh, media media conglomerate and uh, they're very very interested in this type of sport. Mm-hmm. The Chinese so, media conglomerate, in other words, the government. Well, is it no. a conglomerate of behemoths? <laughs> no, this is a private. It's a private. A private business. I can and, say that because I'm Chinese. <laughs> I can bag out my own population. Anyway, and so plus it's SBS. We'll, we'll, we'll bring. We'll bring you're this. Australian when you want to be. You're yeah, Chinese yeah, when you want to be. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, I'm a drifter, yeah, yeah. man. I'm, I'm a fence sitter. Yeah. We're, we're just, racial fence we're, we're just stuck being the people who we are, and <laughs> you get to have this duality. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, we'll move. Which actually is the oh, essence of SBS. But we'll move on from there. Um, okay. We'll we'll get we'll move on to uh, to talking about um, traditional forms of cycling. Traditional form of cycling. One of the most traditional forms of cycling, which is the Tour of Flanders.
the Ronde. Ronde van Vlanderen. God, I love saying that. It just kind of rolls off the tongue. Oh, get, 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 uh, you know? get, get Rob to say it because go. he's got the Dutch heritage. Does he? Okay, go for yeah. it, Rob. Uh, I did the Ronde van Vlanderen. Ah, uh, there's a bit of a in there yeah, as well, I, right? Okay, it's not, not, not so makkelijk. Not, not slecht. Nee, it's not so moeilijk om te praten in Nederlands, maar het is wel een Vlaamse event. Event. I, I don't know the. Anyway, oh. never mind. I speak a little bit of Dutch. Can we have that in Mandarin, Andy or um, Anthony? Oh, jeez, I don't know. <laughs> I don't think they've translated. I don't think there's so enough So you're really viewers. not that Chinese, are you? No, no, I can't even speak it, man. De Ronde van Vlaanderen is wel heel mooi. Heel prachtig wedstrijd. Which means? It's a really pretty, uh, really beautiful race. And it's awesome. It's awesome. Balls to the wall, bike racing from the get-go to the finish. And it's it really, like, except that it gets gazumped by Paris-Roubaix the next week, it is the biggest race in the world, one-day race in the world. Well, I don't think it gets gazumped. I think... I think uh, Flanders or Vlaanderen, as as I'm trying to imitate your pronunciation there. Um, I think it's it's the best race on the calendar. Um, it's the one I most thoroughly look forward to every year, and I think it's the one that provides the best action. Um, Roubaix can be up and down sometimes, you know, where it's a not particularly exciting addition in terms of the rain or the wind. Then it can be a bit stayed until like the final few cobbled sectors, but. Flanders, Flanders. Uh, Go Flanders. Flanders <laughs> uh, always Flanders, delivers. I like to yeah, call it. So. Like Ned Flanders. <laughs> yeah. I love. I love the tour. The Ronde and Ned Flanders. Yeah. <laughs> I, I love the race this weekend, oh, well. but I've never really liked it as much as when it uh, finished with Gerardsberg and then the Bosberg. And since the alteration in the route, I haven't been able to to follow it. Do you think it's because it, it's it, that's these changes have made it more like a regular kind of road race? No, because it's like doing Milan San Remo without the Cipressa and Appoggio mm. now, and and that wouldn't be Milan San Remo. And for me, the Tour of Flanders was waiting for the 16-kilometre mark when they were racing up past the Crucifix on, in Gerardsberg, and, yeah. and you knew that they would go on to the Bosberg, and you knew the sequence, and they would end up in Mierbecker, and you would be like, okay, I know this rhythm. But on the Alde Quarmont, it's, it's, it's cool, and it's fantastic, and it's obviously a, fanta- a really, you know, historic climb, and we love seeing people go, you know, smashing up the cobbles and doing what they do. And the, the dynamic isn't that different, only that the the, the, the Muir von Kjartsbergen is something that I relate to the Tour of Flanders and it's not there anymore. So I, since it moved on, whatever, five or six or seven years ago, I can't even remember, I haven't been quite as engaged. engaged. But that's me. Yeah, it's just I don't expect now, everyone I, to share I, my I, opinion. I yearn for the couple Murrah too, but I think, yeah, I mean it's hard to say which race is better, Flanders or Roubaix. I mean, Roubaix last year, obviously we saw a cracking race with Heyman, not just because Heyman won, but just the dynamics of the race, and then maybe, well, Flanders was good too with Sagan, and then this year, yeah, you've got the battle between these two greats, Sagan and Van Avermaet. And Van Avermaet just seems so almost too confident in a way. And what I've seen with Cigar, it's very subtle, what the races I've seen him race, but it's I feel like he's prepared to lose more. And I think that will actually see him do better, like in, in the race, the really, really big races. Let me let me just bring that back just, just for a moment for the, for the listening audience. So the two clear favourites for Flanders is Greg Van Avermaet uh, from BMC, who has just completed a triple 
a triptych of, of wins in Belgium. It's never been done before, has it? It has never been done yeah. before. The on-loop, so, E3, and get And get yeah. yep. Say unprecedented. Yes. So he's red hot. It doesn't get any hotter than this. And then you've got Peter Sagan, who is Peter Sagan, who's already won a number of things this year, and he won Flanders last year. So he comes in as defending champion. Everyone else has been pretty much relegated in our minds, in our most close watchers' minds, to being uh, second to this show of, of these two riders, mm. even though there are quite a few strong outsiders, and I wouldn't even really call them outsiders, but to win the race. Mm. So that's where you're coming in with this with this battle between these two riders. And you're right about Van Avermaet, because in the quotes we were given today from BMC, I mean, he's like, this is my year. I There's nothing else that I can do. I am going to win this race, effectively. Right. So, so won't he be annoyed when Luke Durbridge gazumps him? Yeah, well, this is the thing. So, How as well you were is saying, he riding, man? <laughs> yeah. he's, he's an animal. So as you are saying, Van Avermaet seems very confident, and maybe overly so, but really setting himself up to be completely distraught post-race when Sagan's holding the trophy over his head or Luke Durbridge is. Well, he was pretty distraught last year when I thought he... I, I had him as my favourite going in to win last year's event and he uh, crashed and broke his collarbone, I think, um, in the middle of the race last year. So he, he knows what it's like and he's generally quite reserved character, Greg Van Avermaet. So he's not a Sagan. He's not this out, out um, outside-of-the-box bombastic pop um, personality, and I think that's one of the great things about this, you know, burgeoning rivalry between the two of them. I should I say burgeoning, but it's really been going for the last few years, where mm. it's it seems weird because uh, Van Avermaet isn't really renowned as a sprinter, but coming down to the end of a 250k race, he's one of the few guys who can actually beat Peter Sagan. So mm. it's it's something that's really been built up, and I think it might be it might be one of the um, the great rivalries of this generation, sort of the Cancellara Boonen mm -hmm. relationship, which never really happened because the, one would get injured at the wrong time, one would um, you know miss a race or something like that. And but the, the history yeah. will remind us that that was either Cancellara or Boonen generally in the classics. Mm. So I mean that the results sheet shows that. So yeah, there was it wasn't the rivalry that you, that, that 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 you might consider because of what you're talking about, the injuries and different things. But this year it's shaping up pretty good. At least they're both arriving for the start of the Ronda in the right condition. Yeah. It's sort of um, arguable whether it's a rivalry between Sagan and Vanavama because, you know, you've got also the rivalry between Sagan and uh, Kwiatkowski, you know, Michal Kwiatkowski, and it seems that everyone wants to ride against Sagan, so it's almost a rivalry... Uh, that you've got, you know, between Sagan and the rest. And Kwiatkowski said, yeah, people feel almost defeated before they've even started to race against Sagan. And he's one of those who who doesn't feel that way because he's raced against him so much as jun from juniors. He he knows him and that's why he, he backed off slightly in the sprint in San Remo. And... It, it this it, and you talk, yeah these rivalries are interesting because um, we had this uh, we had this happen at uh, and uh, at Ghent where Sagan kind of pointed the finger at Nicky Terpstra uh, saying these guys don't want to win races what they're more interested in doing is preventing me from winning I think I think. Um Edicts came back with a, a good counter-repost to that argument. They said, well, we had Gavaria, we had Boonen behind in the group. Why would I ride next to Sagan and help him win when, you know, I can just sit on and help, help our teammates behind, mm -hmm. you know, who are going to uh, be the favourites for that bunch win? And, and I think Boonen did win that 
the the bunch went. And that introduces the third element. Like really, if this is Tom's farewell Flanders, I think you know. From my understanding, I've got friends who are over in Belgium at the moment. They're talking about basically boon and fever. I think Tomica, Tomica, Tomica is everywhere, and uh, it's it's likely to be. He's more than likely to be on the podium again. (laughs) Like and and and, you, and you'd think Roubaix. that he's yeah, been there, he's done it all. Like you know, but he, it, this is the time of year where the cream does tend to rise to the top, and it doesn't. You know, you, you sort of talk about the outsiders because I think it's nice to have that fantasy, the romantic uh, concepts of someone like Durbridge coming through. And I will say that you know, Durbridge, in, if we look on the form, he'll be in the top five. I'd love him to be on the top of the podium because it's just we've watched him develop as a rider. He's, did he win? Um, the, uh, the the three dust from the fl- from the no he's finished, if, no 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 it's not done not that's, this year but the, no last previous year no no no, 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 no. he's, no, he's never won sort of he's come close yeah, he's come okay. close yeah, yeah, yeah that's right and he's timed his run to perfection he he's he had a fantastic Roubaix remember last year if Heyman didn't win it we'd be talking a lot about him I don't know where we're at with guys like Heinrich Hausler and you know we're an Australian podcast so I'm going to talk well, about some other Heinrich names. is out uh, his knee is not good oh, so right. he's yep, not racing yep, yep. and look uh, there are some options but realistically uh, it's a Euro race this year I reckon yeah it does feel like a very Belgian time yeah yeah no I don't have anything to, to add. add to that yeah. is Phil Jill well, going just, to Flanders yeah, and, yes. and Gilbert okay. of course is hot yeah. He's hot um, he's, he's, and he went over to Gaudsbergen the other day yeah. and, and it looked fantastic and he dro- dropped Luke like off. He was like oh, he wasn't even yeah, there. Different level. Yeah. Um, That's so what yeah. I wanted to say, that Quick Step has the best team, the best <laughs> team by such a long way. And that's why I think Sagan is a bit frustrated because they have, going into any of the races, even the... You know, with all due respect, the the minor races like maybe your E3s or whatever, or your midweeks, you know, he they've got so many options. They've got about three or four options. I mean, they had. I was just looking at their lineup. Yeah, for this weekend for San Remo. I mean, it's it's crazy. Any of those guys could be, you know, leaders on other teams. But isn't it crazy? Like they're just to change the conversation a little, rather than who the favourite is, but. So we got Flanders, the biggest race in the world, coming up this weekend. But just in the days leading up to it, they're racing over cobbles in in sometimes pretty average weather conditions, and and taking the chances basically because they need to, because they need to understand their their form, they have to test their rivals, you know, get the race fitness in. But the risk that exists in cycling is immense. In other words, you could have a Van Avermaet moment like last year and he could crash in one of these lead-up races when he's basically out there just gauging form. But they're, they're all out there smashing it, like yep. Gilbert's winning, Van Avermaet's winning, Christoph won a sprint last night, mm-hmm. fantastic sprint, I might add. And it's, there's no other sport where in the, a couple of days before a major, they'd be out there risking their life yeah, you'd, or risking injury. Yeah, least. you'd think they'd be wrapped up in cotton wool just really? you know, sitting in a corner somewhere yeah. like, like veal. <laughs> <laughs> Marinating. So vegan, yeah, though. just marinating. You know, <laughs> yeah. just, just, just waiting. But yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah, they're out there smashing it. I mean, that's yeah. not a new thing. That's been around since cycling began. But it's mm-hmm. it's still uh, it's something that always engages me and mm-hmm. it makes me realise that these guys. It's just it's another level mm-hmm. pro cycling. It's crazy. Yeah, it's that's nuts. why we want to see Velfies from from them. You know, <laughs> stop trying to make this a word. Velfies <laughs> not, is not no, catching it is, on. Man, like far out. <laughs> I can feel it, man. I can feel it. What is it's, what is a selfie? It's a video selfie. selfie. Oh, right. So yeah. what we need them to do is as soon as the ra- as soon as the stage is over, as soon as the race is over, 
right? What they're supposed to do is fish out the phone. Yeah, and do and a go, Facebook And just live. go straight live. Yeah, yeah straight and, there. And then we call them arrogant for doing something like that. That's right. right. Oh, yeah. no, <laughs> no, no, no. This is this is a real bit. So, it's yeah, it's not to say pro athletes aren't. That's the thing. We Like Rob said, they, they are a level above. So, you, you get this, there's this otherworldly aspect about them. And so, this would then bring it back. You know, down to earth for oh, us humans. Us you just gave me a flashback. Actually, talking about Velfies. Um, <laughs> do you remember that um, stage of the Giro a few years ago where Kittel absolutely killed himself to win a sprint? He came from about oh, ten places back or something, and then won. And then some idiot comes over with a phone, and, and as Kittel's collapsed on the ground, somebody just grabs a selfie with him, yep. and, then, and then runs in, grabs a <laughs> selfie, runs away, and everyone's like, "What the hell are you doing, you idiot?" And, I know that's just a funny, funny moment. Yeah. Yes, I remember that. That was that. That did generate a fair bit of comment on social. Yeah. Um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna wrap this up shortly. So regarding uh, regarding Flanders, mm. uh, let's go around around the table here. Winner and Smokey. Ah, uh, well, I'm gonna go with Sagan and the Smokey, or I'll say Gilbert. Uh, the winner and the Smokey, Luke Dobridge. Um, ooh, Terpstra and for the winner and Smokey Tishpanut. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, he's a classy youngster, so yeah. that's a sexy pick. Young, young. You're gonna have to repeat that. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're completely crazy. Yeah. No, that's uh, no, no, no. I like, I like that. I'm surprised, you know, that Rui Costa wasn't in there, but I guess he's not racing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's a real Smokey, right? So Vincenzo uh, um, Nibali. Yeah, that's right. Uh, look, those are—I think those are all good choices. Um, what, did you I, nominate I look, one? No, no, I haven't. Oh, let's no, get no, to but it. I'm yeah. going to nominate. I'm going to nominate. Right. I'm—I'm I'm a big Alex Kristoff fan, but more than anything else, I—I I want some romance out of the next two races. I want—I want some genuine love for the love next two v. races. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. So I want Tom Boonen to win one of the two next. Okay. Either Flanders or Roubaix. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't really matter which. Mm-hmm. Um, Maybe Roubaix a little bit more. So I'm going to go with Roubaix with, or sorry, Flanders. It's going to be uh, Tom. Yeah. And uh, my smoky is going to be Alex Kristoff. Are we doing a podcast between Flanders and Roubaix? We can if you wish. I think that'd be, yeah, I think we should. That's, I think we that's will. That's next week. That's next mm. week. So we'll see. We'll okay. It's very sporadic. Should we lock it in? So you heard it here. Mm-hmm. Okay, these are, the, these are the calls. So we'll come back next week. We'll review these calls, and then we'll project forward to, uh, to Rebay, which is also going to be live on SBS. I think I just found the love of pro cycling again. Just oh, See, just no, like that. Ten that's minutes. So How easy. Annoying. All it took was a few cobblestones and Tom Boonen. Oh, well. I was yes. just really quite enjoying fading away. <laughs> Ooh, me too. Do we know what the weather's going to be like for What was that? Sorry, Jamie? Do we know what the weather's going to be like for uh, there's a hint. There's a hint of rain. Hint of rain. Oh, well, right. that sounds... I don't think I've seen a lot of leg warmers or arm warmers. No, so I think no, they're no. sort of quite having a. It's not an Indian summer. What what is it when it's an early? I guess it's an early summer. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I think you call a hint of rain a nature break. Just about. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, that'll be it for us uh, today. I'm sorry we could uh, we didn't have a chance to uh, to chat to Jesse Carlson because um, the jungle was a little bit too deep down in Victoria. You know, Victorian jungle. Yeah, we're in time. Sydney. We're in New South Wales. The border is a whole other place. There's dragons, 
down there. I don't know what goes on down in Victoria. Do they, do they make those four G towers? They're past the Alps now. The leaders have passed the Alps, Phil. Have they? Yes. Oh, right. Okay. It's closing right, right, right. in on Sydney. So we, but unfortunately, Sydney's on the horizon. Unfortunately, you we missed Bankstown. Uh, we missed there. Jesse because the connection was too bad, which is unfortunate because it would have been great to get an update from him. So I'll just remind you to tune in to SBS Viceland and head, or head online to the Cycling Central website uh, for live streaming for our live broadcast of Flanders, uh, which starts from 9.30 p.m. Oof. Eastern time, Sunday night, and the race will be finished around, I don't know, 1.30, 1.45 uh, a.m. So tune in to Flanders. Yes, Jamie, you had a quick question. <laughs> I, I realized that we've completely talk, forgot to talk about the women's tour of Flanders, which was coming up on the uh, side. Okay, uh, sorry, okay. Uh, Give us. Just before we close, okay, yeah. I'll, I'll explain what's happening with Tour of Flanders. Mm. We don't know. So, <laughs> um, but we do know from Flanders themselves they will be streaming the race uh, live on Facebook. Uh-huh. So there will be an access point for the race uh, from... I think they said 1330 CT. So you'll have to do the conversions yourself with GMT and everything else. So I that does my head in. Ladies and gentlemen, use the Google. Use the Google and uh, use the Facebook and it will be there. But we suspected in past years, as in past years, they'll roll some of that coverage into the men's coverage, which we have starting at 9.30. So we'll probably get to see the finale of the race. Maybe we'll roll back through some highlights and get some podium stuff, et cetera, happening uh, in the live broadcast. But at the moment, we haven't received the TV rundown of what's happening on uh, on Sunday night, mm. uh, which may sound strange, but that's kind of the way TV works. And Modern broadcast. That's right. It's yeah, just... And tune in if you can, because the Oracle women from Australia have been doing really well recently. They look like look quite likely to take a big win and... Flanders could be the one for Annemiek Van Vluten or Kat Garfoot, one of the two. Maybe even Gracie Elvin. Fantastic. Okay. Thanks, Phil. See you next week. No we'll worries. Thank you, Anthony. Bye, Thank you, Phil. Rob. Thank you, Jamie. We'll stop interrupting you. Phil. Goodbye. Yeah. <laughs>